Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back. Hi, Lisa. Yeah, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. Yeah, we we had a lot of fun when we saw each other a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we didn't quite lay down as many tracks as we expected. No, we did have a good time. We ate a lot of good stuff, but uh, yeah, we did some good work. We did yeah, some we, logistic uh, stuff. Administrative. We launched our new logo. We put out yeah. some stickers. If you haven't gotten yours, yeah. you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you should have gotten some of our brand new stickers. We hope that others of you will sign up for them so that we can get an email list going. We still, yeah, we still have a few left. So you had an adventure outside of Boston that I didn't get to participate in, but uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit, aren't we? Yes. Uh, I went and visited the headquarters of the Georgia Poison Center in downtown Atlanta. Without you, you were busy working. Sorry about that. Well, I was busy working in Boston, so there's that. (laughs) logistical issue yes uh and so i had a great visit with dr gaylord lopez who is the center director and he dedicated a lot of his time to you for what half a day right yeah we spent several hours together and i uh also got to tour the poison center which was a real highlight Oh, okay. So this is what I like to imagine the Poison Center looked like. Um, so it's it's got like this big circular driveway and it's like this monolithic glass structure that sort of like disappears in the sky. And then you go through doors that whoosh, whoosh, open. There's glass and there's like all these people in like lab coats behind like a security screen and everything is made of glass, but it's dimly lit, but still lit from behind. And people are like writing in colored markers on like, like transparent screens and... Uh, there's lots of bustling around and yeah, that, that's, that's that. Yeah. Very, very busy people. They're all beautiful, of course, perfectly dressed. Uh, right. That's what it looks like at the poison so, control. Have you been there? You've totally just described it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's on like the eighth or ninth or 11th floor of a high rise in downtown Atlanta. Uh, behind a locked glass door, as a matter of oh, fact. Nice. And they do that intentionally because at their previous site, um, the previous site address was published, and they would have people like patients who had had ingestions or exposures show up on their door. Well, that's not oh. at all what they're designed to do. So now they really are kind of hidden and tucked away in this random skyscraper in downtown Atlanta. So uh, you do have to uh, gain entrance through the glass door. And um, in in the... it's. It looks a little bit like what a call center would look like, a bank of uh, computers, and they have uh, a really, actually, really nice setup. They have several computer uh, workstations that are treadmill workstations. Um, Yeah, we have those all over the place up here in Boston. Yes. Pshaw. It just means they're very focused on their health and their cardio, which they should be at the Poison Control. Poison Center. Center. I keep yes. saying poison control, and you even had a conversation with him about that, yes. didn't you? <laughs> yes. So I have always known it as poison control, but they refer to themselves as the Georgia Poison Center. And the discussion is that they prefer center, uh, but that control is something that's sort of been in our um, culture for a really long time. So you'll hear me during the interview 
stumble a little bit over trying to use the right term. Uh, but they, you know, they, they recognize that. They don't take offense to it. It's not offensive to call them poison control. They're just okay. changing See, it. I, can, I think I just put it all together, the poison control center. So... That's, yes. that's what I see. That yeah, covers all the bases. That covers so. all the bases. Okay, so back to what it looks like. So it had treadmill desk. So th- there's no clinical component to this. If there's no gurneys or hospital beds or... Correct. No, not okay. at all. They are information center. Um, and they, uh, they do have a 250-gallon saltwater tank in the middle oh. of the uh, call center, which is beautiful. They do have a large whiteboard, but it's all... Um, it's a touch screen, so it's it's a whiteboard capable, has all kinds of information on there, who's on call, um, what kind of calls they're getting. We'll be scrolling through uh, the menus of the local restaurants that deliver, the, <laughs> the names of the fish in the tank. Um, ah. They also had something that I thought was really kind of curious, that they have a sick station so uh, in one of the back rooms they have a workstation set up just like all the others Um, but it's segregated and it's for if an employee comes to work sick and so you imagine there are certain illnesses that you can just medicate and go to work so if you have a common cold you can take some medicine and go to work and we all know people do and so Mm -hmm. they just set this up so that you can you know you can um, segregate yourself and not spread it with everybody Uh, very interesting never heard of that before never seen that before is there only one desk? Are there multiple desks? Or? Just one. Just one sick oh, station. One. Okay. Interesting. What if you're the second guy to call in sick? You're like, oh, too bad. Guess I can't come to work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and then uh, they have registrars. They have fellows and other types of researchers that are in there doing like epidemiological research and providing information for their, their databases. Dr. Lopez, because he does teach at, at multiple schools of pharmacy, he has a uh, like a robot iPad. It's this iPad that's set on wheels, and so he can finish his yeah he can finish his lecture at a offsite campus somewhere at the school of pharmacy, uh, log into his iPad, wheel it into the boardroom, and actually continue to participate uh, via live streaming. It's awesome. I'll put a, a I'll post a picture of it. Okay, so this is actually a lot cooler than I thought. I mean, I was yeah. I was completely exaggerating. I thought you were going to tell me it was some dingy office that kind of looked, you know, like in some basement someplace. But actually, this does sound pretty, like, technologically advanced. They are quite cutting edge. Yes. How many people would you say were in the office? Is it 20 people, 100 people? Do you have a sense? Um, I would say at least a dozen, maybe closer okay. to 15 or 20. And they do also have uh, pre- practitioners that are remote, so they're working from home. 24-7 service, right? That's correct. Okay. Some of the other really interesting things that they've introduced at this uh, poison center that may not be national, but what I predict will definitely be heading this way. So you, you know, you have a number that you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a live chat option. And this was something that Dr. Lopez developed that he got a lot of pushback from, from his colleagues saying this will never work. This is a bad idea. They also have a live email option. So you can email, but you'll get a response in real time. So you're not waiting hours for your email email response, right? And those live chat email options queue up uh, in similar order as to when you call in. So let's say you're calling in on the phone and I live chat right behind you. I'm going to be handled second. I see. So they do it in that kind of an order. The the live chat option was developed for the millennials, for the folks who... um, 
who prefer to go to their computer and rather than talk to a live person. A live person right. is kind of a treat anymore for you or me. And then the next thing in the future, he will be moving to text options. That's not quite up yet, but he will um, be moving to the, the where you can just text Georgia Poison Center. Wow, that's great. It puts him at the forefront. They're quite cutting edge. And he did get a lot of, um, like he's kind of a pioneer. Well, if the, if the technology is there, it's nice to see that they're using it to um, to such a good effect. And it's not just that they've made it available, but the public is responding to it. I mean, they, they're using it. That's really cool. That's really cool. All right. So you had the opportunity after this uh, tour of the chance to sit down and uh, talk to Dr. Lopez in his office for some time. You asked him a lot of great questions and we are pretty much going to play that entire interview for you guys, our listeners right now. Hello, Q-Word listeners. I am in downtown Atlanta at the headquarters for Georgia Poison Center, um, and I am here with the director who's been the director for over 30 years. He is a doctorate of pharmacy from the University of California at San Francisco, and he's also a clinical toxicologist. He is very involved in community outreach and public education, and he's called on often by the media to be a content expert. He has appointments at no less than, is it eight schools of pharmacy by that my sounds count? sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, everyone meet Dr. Gaylord Lopez. It is great to be here. I'm really excited about uh, today and, and hopefully your audience will uh, get a, a little better understanding of who we are, what we do, and maybe even be surprised at some of the unique uh, services we provide to the state of Georgia. I think so. And those are some of the things I'd love to highlight um, that you can let us know about. So um, just to start off, since you have been here for more than three decades, I was wondering if you could give us sort of like a bird's eye view of what you have seen over the last 30 years in terms of the calls that come in and then also kind of what's happening on the street. First, the things that have stayed the same and consistent over 30 years, and then maybe you can talk about the things that you've seen that have changed from the 90s to the 2000s to the 2010s. There's no question when you look at poison centers just in general, not just us, but the, the core to our business is the unintentional poisonings that occur in the young child. And when you look at uh, the, the way that call statistics break out, uh, children under the age of six uh, make up primarily 50 to 60 percent of our call volume. So it's that new mom, it's that new grandma, it's that unsuspecting uncle who now has to take care of a child and they don't have eyes on 24-7 to see what's going on with that child. So that's the core of our business. Now what has happened over the last 30 years, and you're right, I've been blessed to be able to be in the, the, the driver's seat for uh, a couple of seconds uh, here, but with that call volume, uh, we started to see it decline over the last 10 to 12 years. Why? Because of Dr. Internet and Dr. Google. Wow. You know, people are turning to, unfortunately, the, their computers for that more quicker answer. But here's what I always challenge uh, a mom, uh, a parent with. Would you rather go to an algorithm as opposed to a human? That's yes. your choice. And so we want to uh, emphasize that the importance of the human aspect because when someone calls a poison center 
They're talking to healthcare professionals. They're talking to doctors. They're talking to nurses. They're talking to pharmacists. And they're talking to poison specialists. They're not talking to a, a particular algorithm. And so we've seen a decline in those kind of cases of young children because parents are going to other sources to get their information. But I encourage them to call the Poison Center because we have humans, we have up-to-date data, and we're gonna be able to, in a timely manner, respond to that poisoning emergency. So you, you ask, you know, what are the common things we've seen? What's been, what are the common threads that we've seen over the years? And, and you know, we, we typically will put out our reports to talk about the top five things that we see. And year over year, the same things do come up. Um, although uh, lesser nowadays, but when we look at our top five drugs or our top five non-drugs, a lot of that stays consistent. So when we look at uh, top five medicines or pharmaceutics, as we call them, uh, the analgesics, the acetaminophens, and the uh, salicylates are probably always going to be in that one or two spot um, in terms of uh, calls we get. Uh, the other things that are very popular include uh, multiple vitamins, mm -hmm. and surprisingly, one that's that's right up there at the top every year are cough and cold preparations. Mm -hmm. So when you look at those top three medicines, those are the ones we get called about exclusively. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about non-medicines, uh, there's there's just a number one answer that is almost like our number one answer. Uh, regardless if it's a drug or non-drug, and that is uh, the category of cleaning products. Mm -hmm. Incredibly popular with, with little kids. Uh, then you've got issues like personal hygiene items mm -hmm. uh, as a very popular group, and then plants and other things that might be you know, within easy sight and easy uh, a view of that uh, child. Right. And so those are things that are brightly colored and they smell good. and Those you know, are our standards, but when you talk about what has happened in the, the poisoning landscape. Uh, we can go back probably to 2010 or a little bit before that. Then there, there came this explosion of synthetic products, synthetic drugs. At the very beginning of this, I recall uh, partnering with one of our local TV stations talking about the um, explosion of this fake marijuana. Mm -hmm. You know, K2. Yeah, the K2, the spice products. So the synthetic cannabinoids made a huge splash. And if you recall, back in 2010, it went from uh, synthetic cannabinoids to bath salts to mollies. And, and so uh, you, you fast forward to, to today when you're looking at other synthetic chemicals. Um, this has really uh, been problematic in our area. And as healthcare professionals, we find ourselves behind the eight ball because a lot of times these, I call them dorm room chemists, mm -hmm. stay three or four steps above the law. They mm -hmm. stay three or four steps of, uh, ahead of healthcare professionals and we're challenged with these weird looking syndromes, not knowing what they got into, but having a clue that they might have smoked, they might have inhaled, they might have put under the tongue. Um, all these different products, and it's very difficult to get into those. And so we have seen some changes uh, in that poison landscape, but what remains our core is that unintentional accidental ingestions that parents, both new and old, you know, are calling about, and that's what we love to, to let the public know. We're there to help with answering that question.
And I like what you said about getting the human the human response versus going to WebMD or, or going to an algorithm because those algorithms are generic. And when But when you're getting a human response, it's specific to that child, that age, pre-existing conditions, how much they took. Those things may or may not be um, accounted for in an algorithm. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I think puts poison centers um, uh, that much more in tune with with our community when when you know you can I mean, when was the last time you you spoke to your doctor for free you know that doesn't happen you're able to to talk to healthcare professionals around the clock for no charge there's not a poison center in the world that's going to charge you at least in the united states it's going to charge you for services and you've got uh, folks who are up to date on the latest information that's out there and look the number of cases we handle, we at the Georgia Poison Center are probably the second busiest poison center in the entire nation. Wow. So when you talk about the kind of experience that we have, we've probably seen it, we've probably been there, we've probably done that. And so you could rest assured that when you talk to one of our agents, our specialists in poison information, that they will give you, you know, accurate information in a timely manner, and they're gonna base it not only on the database that they might have in front of them, but the experience that they have over the years. So when a parent or a nurse or a healthcare provider calls the Poison Control Center, what kind of credentials would the, the operator potentially have? Yeah, th this is uh, uh, what's uh, unique about our call center. We're not, you know, uh, AT&T operator number 12 or 13. Uh, we've got healthcare professionals answering the lines 24 hours around the you know the clock. So there are primarily nurses, pharmacists, and physicians that are answering the call. And many of these folks, at least in our uh, poison center, they have decades of experience. You know, when you've got someone who's been here 40 years, you've got a number of folks that have been here 30 years and 20 years. These are people who know what they're doing, because you know our job is to uh, prevent that unnecessary ER visit. And I know you come from an ER background. Right. Um, and so if we can minimize... We love preventing unnecessary ER I, visits. Exactly. We promote that as well. Uh, of course. <laughs> and no problem with that. And for us, um, you know, there, there, there are a number of factors there, right? Uh, uh, everything from saving time, saving money, and uh, in a state where we have uh, a number of folks uninsured, you know, the burden on our healthcare system is less. In fact, uh, a unique stat about uh, our call volume is that 85% of all the calls that we get require little or no treatment. If anything, it requires reassurance. But here, here, here's the issue. When you've, got an, uh, when you've got a parent who has no clue about what's going on with this particular ingestion, right? They have a couple of choices. One, they could do nothing. I, I don't know that I would encourage parents to, to sit around and just wait for something to happen. They can rush into their pediatrician's office that's, uh, that takes time, that costs money. Mm -hmm. They can rush into the ER that takes time and costs a lot more money. Or they can call a poison center and it's completely free. Right. And, and so fortunately, the, the, the volume that we get, we could almost nine out of every 10 calls, we're going to be able to keep at home. Now, uh, the more difficult calls that we get, the, 15, the 10, 15% of calls that we get that are the most difficult are the ones that come from ERs and mm -hmm. ICUs where they've already got patients who have gotten into a bottle full, a bucket full, uh, you know, uh, a large amount, uh, uh, usually intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the ones that we have to bat our eyes out, uh, bat our eyes um, a little bit more frequently because those are the ones that are could be life-threatening. Uh, in a in a 
a world now where there are a number of drugs where one pill can kill. Uh, we need to be on our game, and we need to be able to work with these ERs and these ICUs to let them know these are the standards of treatment. This is the, um, the indication for therapy. This is when you use an antidote, and we want to make sure that they get the optimum care. We keep them in the hospital the least amount of time, and then they're properly treated. So uh, between those calls that we keep out of the hospital to those that we uh, manage with you in the ERs and the ICUs, we want to uh, make sure that we provide optimum care because you can't be experts at everything. And, and even though that's the life of an ER nurse or physician, you know, being the jack of all trades, uh, poisoning is one of those unique specialties where having that little bit more expertise definitely results in, in better patient care. I agree. And I will say a few things about uh, about that is one, I think reassurance is very good medicine. Uh, a lot of what we do in the ER is reassurance. Know your chest pain is not cardiac related. We have now eliminated that. We, we may not be sure exactly what it is, but it's not your heart. And so you can go and follow up with your primary care. That's reassurance medicine. That's a lot of what we do. Um, I wanna circle back to one pill can kill for sure. Um, and I also think that the emergency nursing specialty is the stabilization of real or imagined emergencies. And so we reach out to specialists all the time because like you said, there's such a, a breadth of what we do. We need uh, specialists to help us with the depth of what we do oftentimes. And so, so if an emergency nurse were to give a call to the Georgia Poison Center, um, what type of things would he or she, what kind of information would they need to have ready uh, when they make the phone call to y'all? Yeah, uh, as in any situation where you're, you're trying to get a better handle on, on the patient and what they got into, certainly we're going to ask a number of questions about uh, the patient you have, um, age, weight, um, pre-existing conditions, uh, uh, medicines they may be on, obviously symptoms they're experiencing. Uh, and then when we get into uh, the other area of the substance, we're, we're, we're like investigators asking 20 questions about, you know, when, how much, uh, um, you know, uh, was it inhaled, was it ingested, um, things like that. And, and, and then from there, we can start doing our investigative work. We, we rely on experience, obviously. We rely on databases that provide us with information. So we'll ask standard questions about uh, a patient so that we can get, you know, the basics in terms of who they are, how old they are, the symptoms they're having, um, how long they've been having them, and then dive into the product itself because, uh, you know, we're going to be basing our recommendations on uh, what experience, what symptoms they're experiencing right now and what potential symptoms they could have down the road if it's one of those things that may be slowly absorbed or maybe not cause um, uh, problems initially but uh, somewhere down the road. And we've got a number of poisons that, you know, do that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been great because uh, many of the nurses are prepared to, to answer these questions. I think oftentimes where we might have issues is we do quite a bit of follow-up with you guys in the emergency rooms and on the floors. And so, uh, look, I'm married to a nurse, uh, a critical care nurse, and um, I know that uh, your day is filled with having to do A, B, C, D, and E. And then you got, you know, the poison center calling uh, to see what's going on with the patient. Well, we're, we're doing that for a number of reasons. Obviously, one, are, are, are folks following our 
our initial recommendations? Is the patient getting the, the optimum care? We've run into situations many times where we've recommended anecdotal therapy and the hospital has stopped it for whatever reason. And it's like, no, 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 you still need to continue on. So it's one of those uh, relationships that I know we're, we're probably bugging you, but we want to make sure that the patient is being treated appropriately. And so we may follow up a case, a medical case, you know, four or five times before we say we think there's, there's a, a good medical outcome, we, could, we can close this case out. But we're there to, to optimize patient care. Uh, but sometimes uh, the healthcare professionals we may want to talk to just don't have the time. They're too busy doing other things, and we understand. Uh, but we want to be part of the medical decision-making. And, uh, again, we could only make recommendations. Sure, if you follow them, great. If you don't, we want to make sure that we can minimize any uh, other complications and things like that that we might see if you don't follow our full recommendations. Good. So for um, newer ER nurses who may have not had the experience of calling the Georgia Poison Center yet, or, or their local poison center if they're not in, in Georgia, um, they, they need to have as much information as they can ready, but your... Um, what do you call your your operators? Your yeah, they're called. We, we've got a really sexy name for okay. our, our folks. Me. Yeah, Hit me with uh, yeah. So they're called spies. S P I S. Now that that, that uh, is that, really sexy. Yeah, it's, it. it's a very sexy uh, name. But uh, when I got here, and spies stand uh, 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 for your information, specialist in poison information. Okay. Great. When I first got here, they had another moniker. Uh, they were poison information specialist. Uh oh. <laughs> Exactly. Not as sexy. So, so not as sexy. Definitely not as good. When you're talking about, well, uh, I work with other pisses or, you know, so so we changed that to spies. Yeah. It, yeah. And so it's funny when a co-worker of ours would, would be asked, well, what is it that you do? I work for the Georgia Poison Center. Well, what do you do there? Well, I'm a, I'm spy. a spy. Wow. Yes. I want your job. Yes. I don't, but, you know, so it's a spy. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, that's what they're called. They're, they're specialists in poison information or spies. Great. So, uh, so my experience is if a nurse calls and has as much information as he or she could gather, your spies will then ask some other pertinent questions and sort of, and they're, they're going to take the lead on the phone call and just walk, walk the healthcare provider right through what needs to be done, including making recommendations about what needs to be the next steps, even labs that can be done, whether they not need to be on telemetry or not, uh, often whether it's safe to discharge, whether they need to be observed, if they need to be observed for how long. And then you guys provide that great follow-up as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what would happen if a, um, so, so my question is then, when you have those situations where the scenario is that somebody wasn't watching the baby and the baby got into something, um, nurses are mandated reporters. Um, that could be considered neglect in some cases. So is that something that your spies would chat about? Are they also court-mandated reporters, or is that going to be a, a partnership between on the phone call? How, how will that break down? Yeah, it's definitely a partnership because we have an obligation as well. Uh, think about those, those patients that we're talking, those parents we're talking to, uh, to at home who are not wanting to provide care, not wanting to go into the ER. Uh, we've run into those situations where they they try to weasel out of a situation when we when we assess it as this is pretty serious then all of a sudden there's a lot of backtracking like well uh, 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 what if they didn't get you know five what if they only got you know three right you know and 
because we have that obligation to report. If we feel that a, a, a child's life's endangered, we will call necessary authorities to either do, um, we've, had, we've called the sheriffs, you know, to come out. Just do a well check. Yeah, to do a well check. These are things that, that we definitely take seriously. Now, um, obviously, as the primary providers in the ER, um, you, you certainly have your obligations as well. And so when, when you give us a scenario that uh, a parent uh, presents to you and, and it's not adding up with us, we want to make sure that you will know that we find this a little scary, especially those cases where, you know, uh, the child accidentally got into X. Like, how do they accidentally get into a bottle of pesticide, you know? Right. And we've had some real tragedies here where there have been intentional poisonings with pesticides where they were put intentionally in, in um, say, a water bottle for an unsuspecting child. Wow. Uh, you know, that's just not something that, that happens on a daily basis. And so when those kind of situations come up, especially when we're giving you the heads up, one of the beauties um, of what we do is we, if we recognize a case has to be sent in, we'll call ahead to the hospital to give you the heads up that someone's coming in. So it's not just oh, you calling us saying the patient's here. Um, when we make those 10 or 15% of our cases as recommendations, we'll say, hey, uh, we've got a child, ETA is about 20 minutes and they did this, that, and the other. Here's our basic assessment. You know, these are the systems, these are the symptoms. This is our plan. You know, let's get this patient in, stabilize them. Let's gut decontaminate. Let's think about, um, um, uh, you know, supportive care. No antidote in this case, mm -hmm. and this is what you need to watch for and for how long. So we'll give you the heads up, and I and I think you've experienced that where you know that uh, you've got a patient coming in so that you could be prepared. That's great. And if we find that there may be a fishy story behind that, and we have sent in a number of fishy stories. It's uh, then uh, we hand off to you to say, see what else you know might be behind this because it just doesn't add up. It doesn't sound right. That's good. So we'll be able to look and see: is the child dirty? Are they wearing appropriate clothes? Do they have a car seat that's appropriate? And just whatever other things there are that others you guys can't see exactly. from where you are. Exactly. Very good. Um, so what about the situation that happens a lot where uh, the caregiver brings? It's usually a child, but not always. But caregiver brings someone in and we don't know what they ingested so grandma dropped a pill but she doesn't know which pill and of course she takes 15 of them so we're having to work it backwards so it's kind of it's a toxidrome so can you talk me through how a nurse or healthcare provider in the ER and your spies would work together on a toxidrome yeah it, it's not uncommon for us to have a situation where we just don't know um, and the unknown pill scenario is a very common one that we've handled. And you're right, there's, there's a good bit of investigative work that goes into uh, trying to figure out what ends up being the likely scenario or course of um, symptomatology that we might expect. And you, you mentioned the keyword toxidrome. And so what we'll, we'll do is we'll, we'll try to understand the medication history of maybe, in this case, a grandparent who might be on everything from diabetic medicines to, uh, you know, heart medicines to blood pressure medicines. And so we'll come up with scenarios for you to, uh, in particular, pay attention to. Because when you're looking at, say, uh, a diabetic medication, one of those one pill can kill issues where symptoms are not going to happen like now. These are some things 
that may happen 12 and 15 and 16 hours from now. And so when you talk about a drop in blood sugars that can occur in a delayed fashion, we need to have you prepared. So we may very well, uh, and I don't like using this term you know, often, but the safe and sorry, especially if we're, if, if we're realizing that there are certain medications that are really problematic in this class of uh, compounds, we will ask for longer uh, admission times, uh, more frequent monitoring, um, and and help you guide help guide the pa- uh, treatment of that patient in, in that particular way. And as we look at things that may be more uh, rapid in onset, whether it's uh, antihypertensive or a cardiac medicine, we're going to try to pick out the handful of things that you are are definitely going to witness in the first handful of hours because most of these cases uh, involve good observation over a four to six hour period. It's sort of that window where we say, if it's going to happen, most things that we know about are going to happen in this period. There are some rare exceptions, like I talked about the anti, the, the diabetic agents. Mm-hmm. There are some antidepressants that may cause symptoms uh, 12 and 16 hours later. So what we're going to try to do is give you the best case scenarios and the critical signs and symptoms that you need to watch out for. and. There are going to be times, even when you're talking about drugs that are incredibly dangerous, like antidepressants, where a pill or two can definitely kill. If I don't have a patient symptomatic, if you're telling me it could be an antidepressant, not sure, we have a window of time, in this case, around six hours, where we say, if you don't see A, B, C, D, E, then guess what? You can discharge. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. So uh, we will take advantage of our knowledge of, of what the, the big things we've got to watch out for, the kind of things we want you to monitor, and then as we follow up together, we'll be able to determine, well, maybe uh, uh, they didn't get that or they didn't get enough of that to be a problem. So you mentioned antidepressants. What would you say would be the next two or three classes or medications that would make your spies go, oh, we've got, we've got something really bad here? Yeah, uh, I, I will tell you uh, when we look at things like uh, uh, sustained release uh, antihypertensive. You're looking at things like uh, the uh, verapamils and the diltiazams and those cardiac agents, incredibly dangerous. I uh, can tell you of a case I had uh, a number of years ago where a three-year-old got into one verapamil sustained release 240 milligram uh, you know, compound. Um, we lost that kid, to make a long story short. Wow. The kid died. Yeah. And we were very aggressive in trying to treat this kid, but the story was, I don't think the kid got it. Uh, and then it happened to be the highest strength, and it happened to be a sustained release product. And every life-saving measure was um, deployed to try to save this kid, and we didn't save this kid. And there are uh, a number of situations where if we're recognizing it could be that magical one of something, we're going to let you know up front, and we're going to say this is one that we've got to keep an eye on. Uh, there's there's another antihypertensive like uh, uh, clonidine that is problematic. Um, we've got antidepressants like um, uh, uh, yeah, products like a, a Wellbutrin, which your audience may be familiar with, you know, that can cause 
delayed onset seizures. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there, there are a number of things that we're going to be able to tell you and say, hey, here's the issue with, with these compounds and these unknowns that we have. And, and if we know a particular toxidromes to look out for, we're going to give you a front and center um, what we know. Sometimes we'll even provide handouts and, and uh, triage sheets or cheat sheets, all which can help that new nurse you know, help uh, that physician with patient care. Very good. All right. So let's um, let's go to the streets now. Um, tell me, what is the hottest and latest? We talked about bath salts and spice, spice and K2. I'm not seeing those as much anymore. What about you? Would you agree? Is there something new? Yeah. Keep in mind that uh, you know the the, vo- the calls that we get, um, you know, from ERs. Uh, uh, they're, they're, as it relates to some of these, these synthetics, they're not oftentimes calling us either, you know, about these. We might be hearing what's new on the street or what might be, you know, uh, troubling some, some, some folks. But I will tell you that uh, there has been sort of a, a resurgence in the use of some of these, these synthetic uh, marijuana products. I think bath salts and the mollies and the the uh, enbome things uh, are are probably not as common. But I will I, I will tell you that you know we we just had uh, an incident uh, just recently last summer of counterfeit uh, Percocet, and so we we dealt with that whole thing in your region. Yeah, that was in my town. Yeah, so. Um, yes, we're in the midst of a, 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 you know, a devastating opioid crisis, and, and while hospitals are not calling us on every heroin overdose, I'm, we would be bombarded because we, we know that that's an issue. But if, um, uh, because many of the, the, the uh, physicians, you know, it, it's not magic to treat an opioid uh, you know, exposure. However, we say it so much that we know what to do. Yeah, so you're <laughs> Unfortunately. not you're not cause, you're not calling a poison center right. for that. But where a physician at your hospital said, "I've had something unique happen to me. There have been three patients that have similarly presented, and I think I have a problem. What can you help me with to disseminate this information to the general public? Because it's not a matter of you know, help me treat these patients. No, it's I think I have a problem. Is there something you can do to help me notify and make it more widely known that there may be some type of outbreak brewing? And you go from three cases at 10 p.m. to I I know about 11 now by 1 a.m. in the morning because I'm calling neighboring hospitals and asking them, look at your records, see if you've noticed any trends. what other similarly presenting patients? And as we came up with definitions, we realized, holy Mac, we've got a situation. And over a three-week period, you know, we've got the GBI involved, we've got public health involved, and on a united front, we're talking to the public about these counterfeit pills. So it would be difficult to measure how many deaths you prevented or, or serious injuries you prevented, but f- it's fair to say that, that, that there was a lot of prevention that happened. Yeah, I'd like to think that uh, we there was a significant impact that both public health and the GBI and the Poison Center made. I will tell you a funny story. Uh, as we're, we're, we, we managed this particular incident over about a three-week period. And what was funny is uh, in the middle of all this, maybe two weeks into it, we get a new case about 
an individual who has been poisoned in a similar way. You know, bought something, uh, you know, on the street, one pill, and he's not breathing. But when he's uh, uh, woken up and he, he's, he's revived, the, the, the physicians ask him, haven't you been paying attention to the news and the, the activity that's been going on? And the response was, I just got out of jail yesterday. Oh, wow. And didn't hear about any of this going on. And then I went to go to my dealer to buy this and that. And he was I, trying to offload some bad uh, stuff. Well, <laughs> well, apparently, but he was clueless because wow. he was incarcerated. Right. And then he uh, goes through a, a, a near-death experience. Wow. Yeah. So, Dr. Lopez, what are we going to do about the opioid crisis? What do we do? Yeah, you know, it's 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 not uh, just a, a simple answer. I mean, there's a multi-pronged approach that we're taking. Everything from talking to um, you know caretakers and and limiting amounts and and not looking at incarceration as the answer and and having treatment uh, centers. Uh, all these take expertise. All the all these solutions. Uh, cost money you know sure uh, we'd love to have rescue kits you know uh, out there in, in, in more plentiful supply um, yeah it, it's it what what's really sad is and we keep on saying this unfortunately for the last couple two three years it's gonna get worse before it gets better and we've got to get a handle on this and I think you're starting to see at least things that may impact some of these numbers uh, in two or three years but you know, look, over the last couple of years, despite some of the early moves that we're making, we're still seeing increases in drug overdoses. We're still seeing um, heroin deaths. And, and of course, the last couple, two, three years, we've seen the fentanyl analogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. When, when you talk about now the, the whole addition to fentanyl to this, to this equation, it, 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 it really boggles us and, and really perplexes us because here's, here's the thing with, with fentanyl. Much uh, easier to come by, more cheaper to produce, and for drug dealers, a greater return on investment when you're looking at including fentanyl. And to the unsuspecting buyer who might get a fentanyl-laced uh, product, uh, now they're dealing with something that could be 50 to 100 times more potent, and they have no clue, and all of a sudden, they're sh- they, they've stopped breathing. You know, and I, I think with the problem that we're seeing with the fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. Um, and I know probably some of your listeners have, have heard the, the layman's term, the, the, ele- the elephant tranquilizer, yes. you know, where you're talking, yes, where you're talking Gray about, death. yes, uh, these kind of products that are way more potent than even just garden variety fentanyl, if you want to call that. Um, uh, you're, you're going to see people, uh, unsuspecting folks, thinking they're, they're, they're getting high and uh, a drug dealer is substituting um, uh, fentanyl-laced products uh, for heroin and using our brothers and our sisters and our children as guinea pigs as, as we, we get through this, this crisis. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to uh, uh, many addicts and and you know their life revolves around getting the next fix Mm -hmm. regardless of uh what manner and and when you're when it's strangely enough you've probably heard this as well is when they hear about someone who may have been um killed in an overdose guess what instead of saying let's avoid those batches 
uh, the opposite actually it happens in, in that they're more attracted to trying to find the same thing that maybe that other person got because you know, maybe they couldn't handle it, but guess what? I can handle I this see. stuff. And so it, it's this weird attraction where wow. when they're hearing about someone dying, actually it is a good thing because they're, they're saying to themselves, I need to get some of that stuff because wow. that's, the, that's the powerful stuff that I need. And uh, I know it's, it, it does, it's counterintuitive to mm-hmm. what you might think. It's like maybe we should avoid that dealer or that particular brand. But if, in fact, uh, I've been told that oftentimes that's what's pretty sexy about this is, is they want to see where that stuff was purchased, who sold that stuff because they want some. They want some. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? That's wild. So a few comments about the, the opioid crisis, and you can tell me what you think. Medi- medications like methadone, suboxone, uh, arming our first responders, including police officers who have minimal, um, you know, maybe just basic CPR skills with Narcan, um, rehab, maybe prevention. Uh, what about the link? And so I'm just throwing out some things that we're using to, you know, toward the, the opioid crisis. I don't know if we're really battling it or just band-aiding it. I'm not sure. And that's what I'd like to hear your comments on. Also, um, the idea that for a while pain was a um, vital sign. And if your patient's pain was not controlled, and most patients would tell you they wanted a zero, um, then you, ER nurses, boy, I'm treading into some really, (laughs) um, ER nurses and ER physicians could get really bad scores on their patient satisfaction, which is linked to reimbursement, which is linked to hospital quality scores and so forth. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of opioids were being given, Mm -hmm. give them whatever they want, Mm -hmm. give them another dose, give Mm -hmm. them five, give them Dilaudid. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you kind of tie all of those things together? Are some of those things band-aids? Are they bridges? Are they answers? Mm -hmm. Are they, what do you think? Yeah. So as I said, you know, the approach to to, uh, getting a, a grip on this crisis does involve uh, many factors and and I think uh, when you talk about treatment um, uh, whether it's rescue at the very beginning to uh, treatment with with uh, uh, you know other meds like suboxone and 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 such I think we do need to have more rescue kits in the hands of uh, first responders and the general public you know, people who are dying from these overdoses aren't dying in hospitals. They're dying on the street. And um, I know it's a controversial thing to, to say, you know, provide more rescues, providing more rescue agents like naloxone uh, encourages, you know, more use. But we're having people dying in front of us and not getting to the hospital in time or not having first responders get to them in time. And so I think when you look at... Uh, sort of the Good Samaritan, uh, you know, laws that have been, you know, included now and, and no persecution of folks who might have been um, in the presence of these folks. I think we're going to save more lives that way. You know, people are going to continue to abuse these drugs. I'm a proponent for getting more naloxone out there. And, and, and I know in, in, in a world where it, it's about maximizing your, 
your profits. I know these are very costly medications. Um, uh, these drug manufacturers, you know, want to make the, the most money for, for, uh, for, you know, what they're producing. But I think we do have to get this drug uh, in more people's hands. So number one, I, I, I am definitely a proponent for that. When you look at the... Could you see a time, sorry to interrupt, could no. you see a time where um, Narcan, I don't know, intranasal, uh, or even like, I guess, could you do like an EpiPen Narcan? Mm -hmm. Could be as ubiquitous as AEDs are now. There was a time when we didn't have AEDs everywhere, but we do now yeah, in a it, lot of places. That's a, that's a great uh, point. And, and, and I think we, we need to move to that because too many people are dying. And there are a lot of us who, who should, should be, you know, could be able to help these people who might get exposed to that unsuspecting dose of, uh, of a fentanyl analog or too much, too much heroin after coming out of treatment and then thinking, you know, the dose I took a year ago is, is the dose I'll start off with now and even though in, in, in a relapse situation. So uh, I, I'm hoping that one day it is as ubiquitous as uh, even carrying around, look, uh, uh, people who carry around EpiPens. Mm -hmm. um, it should be one of those kind of situations where we have that uh, more readily available. Um, and, and, and forever, you know, one of the problems we've had is, is you know, putting a lot of emphasis on uh, the rehabilitation because some of the quick answers were incarceration. That's not the way to go with these folks. It's providing them with uh, and these, these, these rehab stints are, are lengthy that involve both uh, uh, drug-related uh, options as well as psychological options. And so these are things that, that we've got to be able to provide for, whether it's through insurance companies, there have to be other funding sources you know, to help these people get off these very powerful and potent drugs. I do have one other uh, street drug that's related to the opioid that I was um, reading about, Kratom. So when you look at uh, the kind of things that are out there, Kratom has, has gotten a lot of uh, airtime in the last couple of years. And I've been, you know, on record talking about uh, the dangers of Kratom to the media and to the general public, uh, both on air and in print. And uh, in, in, in uh, a world where you're looking at opioid alternatives, uh, the thing is, kratom is is highly addictive. It can cause many of the same problems that opioids can. And you know, people, uh, this is not a this is not a, a safe compound. Now, you're, I, I've had advocates for kratom uh, uh, just berate me uh, online and 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 tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And when you see people that are dying from excessive use, when you're talking about people who are saying. You know, this is a wonderful, this is a wonder drug, and and it is solved my opioid addiction. It is it is helped my heart condition. It, it is it has calmed me down. You know, these folks, you know, they're not medical, uh, you know, professionals. Uh, there there are people that are uh, that are harmed more with with kratom than people who are helped by kratom. And so I've I've gone on record saying this is this is something very dangerous. Uh, this is something that we need to be aware of what our children, what our uh, family members are doing, and it's just not uh, something that should be legalized, because I know there's a push to legalize Kratom, but um, many organizations, countries have actually banned Kratom and said, no, this is a very dangerous compound. All right. So um, 
Is it true, you don't have to answer this, but is it true that you have been known to go incognito into some head shops to find out what's happening around your town or what's the latest? You don't have to answer. <laughs> no, you, you know, it, it's funny you should mention that because uh, uh, at the uh, very beginning of, say, some of the outbreaks of uh, use of K2 and spice and synthetic um, uh, cannabinoids, I did uh, uh, venture, and, and uh, the, the funny part is, I uh, I ventured into uh, one of those shops uh, with driving my vehicle with my wife in the car, and so uh, the 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 great thing is I was trying to use the bigger umbrella of uh, honey I'm doing this for research. <laughs> so uh, we drive up to one of these shops uh, that have the neon lights and the X letters all over the place, and it was under the guise of of legitimate research <laughs> and uh it shouldn't surprise you that my wife stayed in the car yes but i it, it's funny she, it was almost as if she were um a timer during the olympics because she was timing me and <laughs> i did happen to stay in for a little bit <laughs> for research for research only. and i was looking through books I was surprised at the variety of stuff that someone could buy. And when you're talking about a state that might have outlawed this stuff, you know, when you ask the vendor if you could show me books, you know, uh, if I want to buy spice, I had a binder that was maybe seven or eight inches thick that I was able to just go through. Wow. Now with uh, the availability online, you don't yes. even have to go right. to the CD part of town anymore. Right. All you gotta do is go to the internet and boom, you're there. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I did, I, I've been known to do a little bit of research. <laughs> because we, we, we know, we do uh, troll what, you know, what, may, what might be out there. We've got educators, I've got- um, Spies. Uh, spies, I've, <laughs> I've got an uh, education More director. More why it's a good name. Yeah. Yeah, that that sort of uh, you know looks for the latest trends and uh, the latest fads because because we we heard about um, or, or news organization was calling me about the Tide Pod challenge, yes. you know these crazy things that that you see on the internet and and we've already had issues with Tide Pods as an unintentional ingestion in little, little kids That's right. and then you get these people intentionally doing Tide Pods of uh, putting on pizzas and and eating them whole and then filming themselves in this world of social media and instant gratification of likes and and you know thumbs up and loves it's just yeah, crazy. everyone rate us on itunes by the way <laughs> <laughs> just kidding exactly you know <laughs> it, it it adds up to to two words uh that uh, uh are fairly popular with us and that is uh, you know job security yes yes as an er nurse i feel that absolutely um, so tell us about some of the other things I was, when I was looking on your, um, website, there are a lot of things that people can call the Georgia Poison Center for that I wasn't aware of. So tell us some of the kind of underutilized resources. Yeah. Uh, obviously the core of our business is, uh, unintentional and intentional poisoning. Uh, but people don't realize that for bites and stings, we can get called about. In fact, we're very busy this season with snake bites. Um, we're probably the second leading state in the southeast for snake bites. You'd be surprised to learn we, we handle uh, close to 500 snake bite cases annually. Wow. And so uh, there's a special expertise to, to have about uh, to treat or not to treat. Because uh, just because an anaventum 
antivenom exists doesn't mean every patient gets it. Mm. Um, not every bite is a venomation. Right? Not every bite is a, is a venomous bite. Right. And so uh, people are always surprised when we tell them we do bee stings, spiders, uh, caterpillars, snakes. Um, and one kind of bite that, that, that's also very uh, popular with us, and it's a service that we provide, we are the animal bite center for the state of Georgia. Uh, the shorter term, more familiar term is we're the rabies information center for the state of Georgia. And here's the thing about rabies. And so would these services be across the nation to listeners who are listening outside of Georgia? Would their poison centers also offer the kind of bite? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, here at the Georgia Poison Center, it's one of our specialties that we do provide to the residents of Georgia. Uh, I will tell you that other states don't provide, for example, animal bite services. And I also saw inhalations and uh, eye contamination, dermal exposure. Yeah, sure. When you look at you know uh, the ability of a poison to cause its problems, whether it's ingested, um, which is the most common route. You could in, you could inhale poisons. You can get them on your skin. Uh, we just had a, a number of cases where we were dealing with with folks in the car cleaning industry, where they were using um, a special type of wheel cleaner that was able to shine up uh, 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 the the mag wheels or the the fancy wheels. Well, these products ended up containing a very potent chemical called hydrofluoric acid, which does great for a cleaner wow, you know yeah. but it That's actually is thing that once get you know, once on the skin can get to bone and cause all kinds of problems wow well your passion is clear it comes right through so it's been a, it's been a joy to interview thank you so much for giving me your time yeah thanks for having me i, I had a lot of fun it, uh, again um you know as you uh you know broadcast this out to some of your your professionals yeah we want to encourage them you know to use our services call us um, and, and work with us so that we can provide that kind of optimum patient care. We want to be part of the team, um, and we'd love to be able to, to help you guys out. Great. And I know you're very, very uh, comfortable in the interview environment, but I understand this is your first podcast, right? This is. I'm a virgin, and yeah. this is, this is We're great. We're so to, happy to be part of that. You know, thanks so much for thinking yeah. about me. And I can guarantee it won't be your last. <laughs> I feel very confident saying it will not be your last. Well, we look forward to, to talking to your audience again and, and um, uh, uh, hope to share a lot more stories about uh, – the who, what, and where of what we do here at uh, the Georgia Poison Center. That's great. And if people wanted to find you on social media or otherwise, where could we find you? Yeah, so we have a website at georgiapoisoncenter.org, and we have Facebook and Twitter feeds that are um, at Poison Center GA. Great. We'll find you there, and we're going to link all of those in our show notes. Perfect. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Wow, that was great. He uh, sounds like he really knows his stuff and has great faith in his people and sounds like he was a really great guy. Yeah, he was a great interview. He really is a content expert and uh, we were lucky to have some time with him. Uh, and they have a great center going there. They offer so many services that you heard about. There are a lot of other services that they offer as well that um, I'd like. I really want to mention so that you everyone can use their 
uh, take full advantage of their resources. Uh, so you can call the Georgia Poison Center for any kind of med medication information. Okay. So if you have a question about a side effect, if you have a question about a drug-to-drug -drug interaction, if you want to take an herbal and you're not sure if it's okay to take with your prescription med, but your local pharmacy is closed because it's 2 a.m. or it's midnight or it's Christmas Day, right. the Georgia Poison Center is an option for you to call and chat about those things. Uh, another service that they provide uh, that is quite niche is breastfeeding information. So mothers who are breastfeeding children and want to know if it's safe for them to take XYZ medication, whether or not it will cross into the breast milk, can call the Georgia Poison Center and find out. Um, they may recommend, no, this is not something that's safe to pass on to your baby. Or if you need to do it, then you can do what's called pump and dump, where you know it stays in your breast milk for this many hours. So if you'll just pump that milk and discard it, the, the uh, milk after that would be safe for your child. And something that sort of your OBGYN might not know, your pediatrician might know, even your pharmacist might not know, but these guys and gals do. Wow. Other kinds of exposures that would be a little bit less common, things like things that are splashed into your eyes mm -hmm. or an inhalation exposure or a dermal exposure, something that's topical, all of those things are covered. They do snake bite, which we talked about a little in the interview. They do rabies. Uh, they are rabies information house. So you can call and they'll make recommendations about what, if any, rabies treatment you would need. Uh, so there's a lot of things that they provide, not just ingestions. So let me ask you, um, like in terms of the dermal, is this somebody calling because their skin has broken out and they fear that they've touched something or they know they've touched something and they're afraid that it's poisonous? My guess would be that they, they came into contact with something that that they know about that now is causing a problem. But, you know, they work the toxidrome, which is the, I'm having a reaction and let's work backwards. They okay. work that with ingestions. I imagine they, they could do that with dermal as well and at least give you some things of, that you need to look for. Um, and then, you know, they would interview you about the types of things that you may have come into contact with and kind of drill down to the exposure. Interesting. That's um, a fant fantastic service. I don't know who to call up here in Boston. I'm certainly going to look. Uh, the number is 1-800-222-1222. That's all you have to remember. That's nationwide. It will direct you to your correct poison center. Instead of our usual blooper at the end of the episode, I'm going to play you the poison center jingle, which is their phone number. It's quite an earworm. It's very <laughs> a la Schoolhouse Rock. You guys are going to love it. And you're never going to forget the number for, for the uh, poison center again, which is the whole point. Two, 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 one, two, two, two. I can already imagine what kind of rhythm it's got. <laughs> That's right. That's fabulous. Well, I'm so glad you got to talk to him. I wish I had had the chance to meet him. Um, I hope that if I do, it's uh, not because I ate something <laughs> or nailed right. something or touched something wrong. Um, and we hope that everybody enjoyed the episode. If you did, please Rate us on iTunes, um, come and see us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on Twitter. We are the keywordpodcast.com, or you can email us at the keywordpodcast at gmail.com. That's it. You guys have a great uh, week, a month, couple weeks, so we will check in with you soon. Bye, guys.
Bye. See you soon, Isa. 1-800-222-1222. 1-800-222-1222. If you think it might be poison, then the first thing you should do is call 1-800-222-1222. For poison emergencies or just questions, the Poison Control Center hotline is here 24-7 with the expert help you need. If you think it might be poison, then you don't know what to do. Call 1-800-222-1222. Thank you.